afternoon, Making the Argument audience. Very excited to be with you here once again. I'm Sarah Patch Lids, the co-producer of the show. I'm joined by Hamilton, Christian, and Tina today. Nick is not able to join us. He's too busy doing the people's work in Richmond, which is good stuff. Today we're going to be talking about a recent executive order signed by President Biden, and it is very disturbing. And we're going to look at it and some of the implications, and then we'll wrap up with touching on how we can kind of try to push back against this. I'm going to hand it off to Hamilton, get us started, and then we'll get going. I'm really excited for today's conversation because we're going to be discussing different things, as Lydia said, such as AI as well. So I think there's some interesting things to uncover there. I've had uh, quite a few experiences with different technologies here lately, so I'm excited to talk about that and how they have been somewhat useful for what we do. Uh, But anyway, if you haven't joined our volley chat, our community chat, which you can join at the link in the description of this show, I hope you will join us over there in volley. You'll need to download the app and create an account, but I promise it's worth it. We've got about 150 folks in there. really enjoy going back and forth with everyone discussing different topics planning different episodes and i just you know sometimes like proposing interesting questions so if you haven't already joined please do so and we're looking forward to having you join us for today's episode yeah so i wanted to really open today's episode by talking about some of the broader implications of ai because i saw somebody a while ago say that ai felt like we were walking blindfolded into a nightmare and that felt a little bit hyperbolic to me so have you guys had positive experiences with ai what do you think of it so far like chat gpt and some of this other stuff christian you've used chat gpt here quite a bit for research on your paper is that right yeah so i've had a very mixed performance with it on one hand um yeah i can write a whole lot but a lot of people, myself included, have noticed that when you give it certain prompts, it will literally lie to you. Um, like, like, for example, I was writing a paper, and so I asked for, you know, its take on something, and it gave me its take, and I was like, great, where can I find the source for that? And then it gave me a source that didn't exist. Really? Um, it's done that wow. repeatedly. And wow. obviously, I'm, I'm not in the business of uh, submitting papers with fraudulent sources. So <laughs> no I, I haven't been able to like really use ChatGPT for any. So, and I would never want it to, to write my paper for me yeah. because I can write better than the AI can. But I certainly was trying to use it as a research tool. And I was really disappointed in the end because there wasn't a whole lot that I could actually take out of it. Sure. Um, and I'm not the only one that's noticed that. Like Twitter's filled with people that have been talking about how it will literally just make up sources on any sort of topic out there. And it's because the way that it's programmed, it's, it's basically a language learning tool that kind of scans the internet and sees what's the most common set of words or phrases that's attached to whatever prompt it's being given. And so when you ask for a source, it'll basically it's, it's almost like it's doing a probability check where it's not actually looking for the source. It's saying what's most likely going to be the yeah. source. And then it'll cobble something together that ultimately is not actually a source. So mm-hmm. it's well, a well, we'll probably get more into it in this episode about problems yeah, like that. I, I do think it's important that we take note that it is a very new technology. And the fact that OpenAI even has allowed us access to this at this point is pretty interesting. And I do think we should approach it knowing that it's going to make some mistakes. Um, I think what's most fascinating for someone in my position is the ability to use it to uh, cut out a lot of times 50% of the work, the front load of a 
project that we're working on. And, you know, sometimes we will have a script idea for the why minutes or something of that nature. And we'll give it the topic and say, hey, what are three things that we should be aware of related to this topic? And sometimes it helps us think about points that we can write into a script that we haven't thought of yet. Now, of course, we would do the research to clarify whether or not it was truthful beforehand. Um, but it's just really interesting with things like that. And there's another program that we use called Descript, uh, which is an AI learning technology that we can Very import cool. our videos into. And it transcribes the whole video and allows us to edit videos much quicker, um, you know, access information and go back to points in an episode that we know we wanted to make another piece of content on and find it even faster. Um, and that's, you know, an AI technology that's been incredibly helpful for us. And, you know, with Bing, we've seen that there's been some pretty crazy things coming out of its AI learning software, um, talking about how it wants to be sentient. Um, and so that is interesting. Uh, but I think that we're just on the cusp of this technology. And I think that in, over the next 10 years, we're going to find ways for it to really improve the quality of life for a lot of people, especially people that work with tech all the time. Can I add one more thing that's a big danger with AI? And it's the political bias. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was bringing up earlier, you know, that it like fraudulently will cite certain things. But we've seen repeatedly, there's so many examples on the Internet now of a prompt being put in for chat GPT to write about something. And as soon as it writes, it's asked to write anything that has a conservative bent, it'll basically say no. Yeah. Um, but if you ask it to do the exact same thing on the left, it'll happily do so. And I, I think that really gets into the heart of the problem because the, the problem is not the AI. The, 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 the problem is the people that are coding the AI. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's the issue lies with, either the person that is um, uh, creating the prompt or generating the code that the right. AI is based on. It's it's not necessarily the, the, the AI itself. It'll say, oh, I want to be conscious. It's pulling text from the internet from people saying right. that. Yeah. That, that, that. In fact, I actually wrote something on Facebook a few days ago about this and, and my take on it. And some people might disagree, but I think it ties into the politics and what we're going to be getting into for the rest of this episode. And, and I go on to say, AI cannot create new ideas. It can merely take pre-existing ideas and alter them. AI like ChatGPT are simply trained on pre-existing internet data. The same goes for AI art. This is actually an important thing that, that's left out of the political yes. equation. Yeah. AR, AI art generating um, software that will then give you like a digital version of a painting. And right. So everybody thinks like, oh, it's so creative. It's so, it, you know, it's able to like come up with, with its own stuff. No, what it's doing is it's taking pre-existing art of yeah. the internet and it's mishmashing it together. And I want to add just a bit of, bit of context to this conversation. Right now, the AI tools that are on the market are best aligned to help people in the creator economy. And so what ends up happening is, is there's new software that could help creators potentially build thumbnails faster for YouTube. And so what happens is the tools are most aligned with creators but who are also the people best equipped to spread new information about a new technology? It's creators. And, and so we probably are seeing a higher amount of conversation on this topic because it is so aligned with the people who hold the most attention online right now as well. Yeah. It's Isn't there the danger of getting kind of locked into a loop then in this situation? Well, the loop gets broken when the creators sue the creators of the AI for copyright infringement, right? Yeah. which is yeah. what's happening on the art side. 
Yeah. So, so I, I conclude with saying that the same goes for AI art, which is the whole reason there's lawsuits brewing against AI generating or against art generating AI like Stable Diffusion because it doesn't make novel art. All that it does is it relies on pre-existing art and simply uses that data to generate images based on prompts that are given to it. It's not like the AI sitting there with a paintbrush creating right. its own unique masterpiece from from complete scratch. It doesn't have its own mind to draw upon to to visualize a new piece of art. Instead, it's scanning the internet for all already pre-existing pieces of art that other people have created, in many cases, digital art. It'll go through places like DeviantArt or, or Pixiv or like any of these like art hosting websites. And it'll just steal the art from these places that other people have created to then create its own art when you put in a prompt to it, which is why they're getting sued for copyright infringement. And then I conclude with saying AI will never be able to come up with its own ideas either because, and this is controversial, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I will fight this to the death. This is the hill I'll die on. Because AI cannot become conscious, it doesn't mean though that AI is not dangerous only that the danger lies in the person generating the prompt or creating the ideas from which AI draws upon. So an example would be if the content that AI is drawing upon is exclusively coming from a source that has a, a particular political bias, yeah. well, that's dangerous. Likewise, if the person putting in the prompt that the AI is then drawing upon and that prompt is geared in a certain way to create a, a certain outcome that might be politically advantageous towards one side that's also dangerous but that's less dangerous than the people that are creating the AI because as we've seen I can put in prompts all day long that have a conservative bent and I'm just getting stonewalled from places like chat chat GPT so my issue is not with the AI there's so much like fear-mongering going on just all over the place I mean Stephen Hawking yeah. himself once said that he thought that AI could end up destroying humanity and and so, like, from the highest levels of, of, you know, academia all the way down to the layman, there's there's so much fear-mongering about AI. But I think the danger lies more in the humans that are controlling the AI and coding it and using it necessarily yes. than the AI itself. The AI itself isn't conscious. It doesn't yeah. know what it's doing. Well, I, I think you're exactly right, Christian. And it seems like the Biden administration has noticed that there is an opportunity for them to Dude. insert themselves into this private market. Now, why would the government do that? I don't know, <laughs> Tina. Lydia, why would that happen? Well, I think what we've seen with the Biden administration, honestly, just looking at the people that they hire to help them with the administration of the administration is troubling enough because they're literally just looking to check boxes. And now that Joe Biden has passed this executive order kind of interfering with the inner workings of AI requirements, um, I don't see any of this changing. I did look up, I was forced to look up because I wasn't sure I hadn't heard of an executive order being challenged in court, but apparently this is certainly something that can happen. And I really hope that Republicans push back on this because it looks like the Biden administration, because it's full of these young, hip, quirky people behind the scenes, is noticing the potential power of AI. And they also, like Christian was saying, recognize that the real power is within the people who decide what the AI sees, how it filters it, which way it leans. Now, I had a short spell where I was talking with ChatGPT about a particularly contentious issue regarding women's prisons. Um, and I went round and round and around with ChatGPT. I found myself getting frustrated because like Christian said, I was also stonewalled. But at the same time, I was like, wow, this is really teaching me to like think about this from different angles. 
and then kind of engage with them as a kind of debate, like a, a, a person you're up against in a debate, your rival. Um, so I view it as possibly being a good thing for sharpening your own mind. But the fact of the matter is that if the Biden administration gets its way, and I'm sure they will, at least for the short foreseeable future before someone challenges this in court, they will have the opportunity to make this whole thing super woke. Now, the way they're going to go about this, and here's where we're going to get into some of the details of the bill, because we've kind of broken down a little bit about the fears surrounding AI. Um, the executive order itself has such a nice sounding purpose. So this is, we know that this is how Democrats work. They'll pitch you something that sounds a lot like diversity, equity, and inclusion. It sounds like sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and all that good stuff. And you know that nothing in life is actually like that. Life is always very hard and it requires some form of compromise from some direction direction or the other. Now, the veneer of the rainbows and lollipops that we're seeing here is equity. That's their, um, that's their stated goal. I don't believe this will be the end goal. I view this as just more of an extension of the government's power. Nothing would surprise me less at this point. But let me read a little bit from this Fox article entitled Biden Executive Order for Woke Artificial Intelligence Called, quote, Social Cancer. The subtitle says Biden is not a moderate. This is a legal sprint to inject as much radical ideology as broadly and as deeply as possible in our government, one commentator wrote. President Biden signed an executive order on Thursday that critics warn will allow for the creation of woke artificial intelligence that promotes racial division and discrimination. And at the end of the day, that is 100% exactly what equity mindset does. That's what equity policies do, because the whole idea behind equity is that in the past, life hasn't been fair. And we have a moral obligation now to make it 100% fair for everyone, even if that means, as Ibram Kendi pushes, current racism now to make up for past racism. Very troubling stuff. So this particular article lists a bunch of conservative commentators pointing out that, for example, Christopher Rufo says Biden's new executive order creating a national DEI bureaucracy has a special mandate for woke AI. The order instructs the federal government to, quote, protect the public from algorithmic discrimination and to deploy AI systems in a manner that advances equity. Those words should be a huge red flag to all conservative and anyone, all conservatives and anyone who's actually concerned about making sure that the U.S. continues to be great and continues to be functionally the land of opportunity, which I really feel we've lost lately, but the exact text of the bill says, when designing, developing, acquiring, and using artificial intelligence and automated systems in the federal government, agencies shall do so consistent with applicable law in a manner that advances equity. That's terrifying because it's so broad. And I don't know if you guys want to speak to this, but I always hate it when stuff like this is so broad because in my mind, that's just a trigger. That's just a sign that the government is just going to step in and do exactly whatever they see fit and be super, super authoritarian just to make this nice goal happen. And I personally find that deeply troubling. So you, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but this entire bill is just a, this, sorry, I keep calling it a bill. It's not a bill. 
It's an executive yeah. order. So it's just the president's mandate or his edict. So how do you guys feel about the premises of this incredibly broad executive order? Uh, I My fear is that th over the next few years, AI technology will get to a point where it is significantly influencing the process of education. And, you know, textbooks, online courses, whatever it might be, however students choose to use this technology to invest in their own education, whether that's doing research or something of that nature. And it just, it's very interesting to me to see the Biden administration get on board with this or address this AI technology so early. And, you know, we've all, probably all seen videos talking about how quickly chat GPT reached a million users compared to Facebook and Instagram and all these other platforms. And so maybe I, I, I think that we've put the cart before the horse that I wish AI technology had kind of stayed, you know, unknown for a while and people hadn't gotten so many people, so many users hadn't started using chat GPT. That way the technology could progress without outside influences, because I do think that there are significantly valuable assets or, you know, tasks that these programs will be able to do for us that will improve our lives and expedite the projects that we're working on. Um, that's my thought. I think with the government, no matter what type of um, new technology that comes out or new concepts that come out, anybody who's bent on power, they're going to look at every new thing that comes out and go, how can this be exploited for my ends? And of course they do so um, feeling like they're perfectly good because they're doing it for good reasons. Yep. They're, right. oh, my intentions are good. And there are a lot of of good intentions that have led to catastrophic situations. Um, I mean, just look at the lockdowns. And so I, I just, I feel like we're, we're really begging for a problem here. I don't know if any of you have seen, um, speaking of AI, because Hollywood has been obsessed with AI forever, uh, like Terminator yeah. and things like that. But I'm thinking a totally different one. If anybody has ever seen Person of Interest with uh, Jim Caviezel. Yeah. And they create this machine that watches all like they can watch you through your computer they watch you through your phone they're yeah. like tapped into every like absolutely everything it knows everything it's always listening just like siri just yeah. like uh alexa that and what this machine does is it compiles all of these different data points and cameras and and different cameras throughout everywhere in society um, in order to listen and watch. And what it does is it has been honed in order to predict when somebody might commit a murder or commit like a large scale yeah. uh, attack of some sort. And so it was like the intentions were good so that they could stop murder or they could stop terrorism or they could stop these things. But it ends up getting used by the government and and so it's it's actually a very binge worthy uh, show, but that's what I'm thinking along those to, lines because why else would the government want to use it? To that point, Christian and I a couple of weeks ago were throwing around an idea regarding a why minute that we could potentially create on um, advertising and data collection, data collection. And the point, the the conclusion we wanted to make in the video, we ultimately decided not to make it, but the point we wanted to make was that. It, we should be concerned about companies, Google, YouTube, whatever it might be, extrapolating so much data from our, our activity online. But the last thing we want is for the government to get involved with that process and insert themselves into it because, just like we saw with the NSA, they want data too. 
And and I, I think we need to be very careful in what we request of the government to do in this situation because we very well could end up sharing more data with these politicians who think they know best than we originally intended or wanted. My, my question is this. Why would the government tell private industries and private organizations that they have to do X, Y, or Z, just like the kill switches in the cars saying you, yeah. you need to have these kill switches installed in every single car by what, what year was it? It was 2030. Yeah, I want to say it was okay. 2030. Yeah. Don't and me on and that, their but. whole thing was, oh, well, no, the government can't access it. it only the car company can access oh, right. it. But tell me why the government wants the car company to install it then if the yeah. government can't access I, it. It's as simple as this. Having watched legislation go through, all, all they need to do is get their foot in the door and make the requirement. After that, it's a simple little bill to say who can access it. I mean, people don't this whole camel's nose under yeah. the tent thing is a real problem. Mm -hmm. I, I want to play out one scenario real quick. What if we get into a situation where the government and the left infiltrates AI technology, but AI technology continues to progress to a point where it becomes a integral part of the education system and the left and everyone in the middle, you know, middle of the road, people left-wing individuals, integrate this technology into their education but we as conservatives look at it and say we know that every bit of this technology has a left-wing bias and therefore we are not going to allow our students or our kids to participate in this technology and the middle of the road individuals and the left wing accelerates through society because they have this added benefit in technology but conservatives don't use it well they're already doing that Remember what I said earlier when I was um, reading off of this post that I wrote on Facebook a few days ago, where I explained that AI is pulling data from the internet. It's not coming up with its own new ideas. It can't. It physically is incapable of. Um, things like ChatGPT are pulling pre-existing things that have already been right. written. Who has been writing most of the material within academia True. already? True. Not right. only that, but the Good algorithm point. could be causing it to favor certain types of information over yeah. other types of information and certain authors over other authors. And I, I do think it is possible for an AI technology like this to see the opinion writing of the left and only choose to pull factual information or unopinionated information. But if it's instructed to factor in that opinionated information into its conclusions... Well, what are we going to do? It'll be a instructed to pull the equity side, right? So so a, a right. good example will be, well, it won't be allowed to talk about things that the left views as being basically inconvenient facts. Sure. Of, of any type. So, so like, you know, if you asked uh, ChatGPT, you know, write 500 words explaining, you know, the dangers of allowing a... 12 year old to go through gender reassignment yeah. surgery or just gender transitioning in general. It won't do it. It won't yeah. do it because it's against yeah. the narrative of the left. And it's certainly against the narrative of equity because there's yeah. no group that's more, that's more discriminated against than transgenders. And so yeah, if you, you if you share any sort of facts that explain the mental health crisis that comes along with it or any of the negative side effects that come along with it or the fact that when they get older, a lot of people might end up regretting this decision that they made when they were children. 
Could, it, it, it's not going to be allowed to share that information because that goes against equity. But the thing is, is that what's what's funny is that Biden, in some ways, doesn't even need this executive order because the people that are making these products are already yeah. on the left. They're already yeah. going to be doing this of their own, could, own fruition. Could this be a signal to this realm of um, the eco- market to go ahead and prepare yourselves for federal funding? Mm, uh, potentially. So. I mean, I, I certainly think there'll be an AI bubble. Remember a few years ago when there was a huge electric vehicle bubble in the stock market oh, yeah. and you had Tesla went up a thousand percent. You had like all these Chinese companies that were going through the roof. You had Nikola, which literally had a fraudulent, like they didn't even have a product. They lied to people that they had a product. They said they had, they had a truck that was ru- running on pure electricity. And in reality, there was no truck. There was no battery. There was no, it was rolling down a hill and they were using footage of it being gravity propelled wow. in order wow. to have like a billion wow. dollar valuation. And like, when I learned about that, I realized that, oh, the whole electric vehicle thing, it's not that it's not real. It's that it's a bubble. Well, you're going to have the same exact thing on the AI side. You're going to have an AI bubble, right? Well, Chris, Christian, you, you mentioned one thing that I kind of want to touch on real quick. You said, um, these people are already on the left. Why does Biden need to do this? Because- yeah. They're already on the left. Here's the thing is the government always does this. Anytime something new is cropping up, they they want to get their hand into it and be the ones to dictate how things go. So even if it's going left-leaning right now, they want to ensure that it continues to do so. And right. so that's why they sure. go ahead and do this. I mean, the government likes to take credit for everything even though like the economy and and like politicians people, like to take credit for everything. Right. People, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, people will go along a certain track and they'll realize it's a good thing to do X. And so then the government's like, oh, these people realize it's a good thing to do X. Let's yeah. mandate it by law. I wanna, I and wanna, then we can take credit and get yeah. reelected for, look at all the jobs uh, I created 100%, or whatever. Yeah. 100%. Before we move on, I want to make one cl- quick clarification for our audience. There is AI technology which takes existing data within your own computer and helps you organize it. That would be a program like Descript. It's not accessing right. information out on the web to organize new information. And then there are things like ChatGPT, which do access information in the web to bring you more data that you hadn't already had on your system. And so I, I, I want to make that clarification because there are some AI tools that I really like. Wait, wait, you said Descript... How, explain that again. So the Descript side. Descript, like I mentioned earlier, we import our videos into that program and it transcribes everything. And then we're able to search through that video very quickly, read through it, and edit it like a Word document. But Descript isn't going out and finding information out on the web to transcribe that video. No, it's just using the video's itself. own audio. So to, I, I, yeah. I don't think we should be closed off to all AI technology. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. I, I mean, the, the the one thing that the audience should get away from this is not the the fear mongering that AI is going to like kill us all and it's it's super dangerous. It's going to become is, sentient. A, okay. Yeah. Oh man, that's <laughs> a whole other topic. For Terminator's going to come around and like start just AI mowing cannot, everyone down. AI cannot become sentient. Maybe it's because of my own metaphysical physical biases that I'm saying that, but. AI cannot become sentient. It cannot become conscious. It, right. And that might be a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Yeah. Very philosophically yeah. driven. What is consciousness? But like AI cannot be conscious. And in some ways that's a blessing and a curse, but it means that the fear that, that people are having about AI should really be directed at the people that are making it, not at the AI itself. ChatGPT can't hurt you. Um, right. 
it's it's only the people that are making it and then programming it to pump yeah. out left wing propaganda. That's the danger. Go ahead, Lydia. Right. And that is, that's a great point, Christian. And I think that's definitely a clarification worth making, as well as one Hamilton made, which is that some AI programs only take exactly what you give it and then organize that. To me, that seems much more useful in a more limited sense. Um, I wanted to throw in, too, because Tina mentioned how a bill could easily be passed to change who exactly could, for example, access a kill switch on a car. And I'm here to tell you that based on those Twitter files, we see exactly what the government does with their own little hidey holes, with their own back doors, and they can just dive, burrow into this private company like a parasite and treat it as if they have every right to censor what Americans are trying to convey, which should have been a huge wake-up call for us, especially in face of this AI stuff, because we should have known obviously, and I think that a lot of people suspected this would be the case, but we should have known that the government was going to try to take advantage of AI. Now, whether they'll succeed at that, whether um, somebody else won't come up with something better, whether we won't come up with a way to counter them effectively, or whether this will push us all back to pencils and papers and crunching numbers by hand remains to be seen. But on that note, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think? Not what's the best way to counter artificial intelligence, because we really don't know what direction that's going to go over the next 20 to 50 years. But how do you think is the best way to push back on this kind of hugely overarching authoritarian dystopian nonsense that's in this executive order where they're trying to push people, trying to push programmers to make algorithms more equitable and inclusive. Where do you see that ending? And is there anything we can do to expedite that, like returning to pre-computer ages, paper and pencil? What do you think about that? This is kind of a joke, but we need to ask Elon to go create a new (laughs) AI for us. Yeah, I mean, actually. Would be I feel like there's there's a bit of a, a lawsuit possibility here. And the only reason I say that is because um, these creators, the, what they are creating is part, you can make an argument that it's part of their freedom of speech and their freedom of expression. And if you're forcing them to only express what you want them to express, there's there's a bit of a, that that's like a compelled speech situation. Yeah, and so I, I kind of wonder if if it's possible to bring this to a lawsuit, uh, just simply on the grounds that you can't force someone to create what you want them to create yeah. just because they're creating. I mean, this is definitely an Atlas Shrug kind of situation where they're creating something and you're telling them they have to do it a certain way. And and oh by the way what it does is it omits certain facts and yeah. ignores certain data. And right. it definitely is, it, it's the opportunity to create the largest propaganda machine you've ever seen. Yeah. Well, that's the best way I, to describe it right there. The The largest way to create a, a propaganda machine, unlike anything you've ever seen, because I think that really gets to the heart of everything that we were about to talk about. But Ham- Hamilton, you were about to say something. So I, I want to hear what you had to say. Um, Tuesday night, I had the opportunity to go speak to a group of high school students in Louisa here in Virginia, um, about a group of 10 students. And I was really fascinated to learn what their age group, uh, learn how social media had affected their age group. And it seemed like a lot of that conversation revolved around the influence it had on their peers at school and how social media may have influenced them to 
take up the mantle in the culture war, uh, maybe come out as bisexual or something of that nature. And I've, I thought that obviously we, we all look at that and think that that's very sad that, you know, the culture war on TikTok, on Instagram has gotten to a point that it can influence the cultural makeup of a high school. And whether or not you're in the cool kids club based off of what influences they've seen on these social media platforms. But the question that I proposed to them was we can all accept that TikTok has had this influence and this has been the result. In the U.S. In, in Not the, in China. In, in the U.S., they absolutely. Have, the China actually pushes that stuff to us because they know that it's, it's brain it, poison. It undermines us. Yes. What they push in China is you know, learn, study hard, work exactly. hard, be a good citizen, yeah. all that stuff. And they, they feed right. the garbage to our people. I, I would yeah. also argue that the garbage is fully accepted by our people and pushed oh, yeah. harder Absolutely. because of There's, it. There's definitely works. individual response. That, that, that's one thing that conservatives leave out with like the whole <laughs> thing about TikTok yeah. is that they just want to blame the CCP. The CCP is a great boogeyman because they are literally the antithesis of everything that all four of us um, believe in. But yeah. At the end of the day, it's it's also individual responsibility. Nobody if, compels if, you to open up a TikTok. If no account. one was engaging with the garbage, they would not show the garbage. The garbage, uh, wouldn't but the be fed. algorithm is set. I like it's set differently here in order to offer Absolutely. you a lot more garbage. And the minute there's their folks get the garbage into their feed, it gets banned, banned, sure, banned, banned, banned. Sure. So. It, it's but, but what Hamilton is trying to say there's though, an influence still. What <laughs> Hamilton is trying to say that that yeah. platforms like TikTok. YouTube as well, Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. If you're not watching the content that it's giving you, you're clicking off the platform. That's the last that's thing it. they want. And so they're that's going it. to think... feed you content that's going to keep you on the platform. That's how they make money. But and then, so if but they... they ban people. So like Nick started to go viral on, yeah. that's on true. TikTok. They did ban Nick. And then they ban Nick for unknown reasons. Yeah. And I mean, he was doing great, he was. but he was offering yeah. information that, I mean, like he even just said something about mask mandates yeah. and they banned him over it. Oh. He, the other yeah. thing they banned him over was asking, basically pointing out that Kamala Harris can't uh, define a, or isn't a biologist yeah. major or I, whatever. And, and maybe biology has something to do with gender and oh my gosh, he got banned yeah. for that. I, so, I've never witnessed a more more clear evidence of shadow banning yeah. than his experience on TikTok. He talked about COVID and yeah. mask mandates and right. every single day after the amount of impressions yeah. went down just continually. I'd never seen a more clear cut example of it happening. He went from getting hundreds of thousands of views and like thousands of followers a day yeah. down to, oh, this only got 6,000 views. Yeah, for sure. I will. Yeah. I do think it's important to point out though that conservatives and even political creators on TikTok are not the only ones who had problems with their accounts getting shut down. That's true. But if you think about it, it's not just because part of what they're combating is anything intelligent. It they don't be. want intelligent things landing in front of people in the U.S. They want to foster this well, culture. And, and I think I unfortunately think Gen Z may be the generation most open to their social media feeds being 100% entertainment. Yes, I think that you're right about that. And I will add in here that one of the things that very few people mention when they talk about how China controls TikTok in China is that China puts 
extreme time limitations yeah. mm -hmm. on when children can use TikTok. Now, I will tell you right now that I think this is a powerful tool that conservatives can use to push back on all of this stuff. Parents being involved in what goes on their child's phone and when they're allowed yeah. to access that phone. Now, yeah. Tina and I, before the show, were talking about how uh, her kids didn't get phones until they were in their teens. The same went for me. And when I got it, it was like a little old candy bar phone. I got one of those super small, I think it was a Nokia phone, one of the indestructible ones, which was great. Um, but it had nothing. It had no internet access. I could call mom and dad and I could call my friends and it was a track phone. So it, then if I went over, I was going to pay the difference and I had to fund my own minutes. So that was that level of responsibility. You had good was parents. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did. And I really appreciate them now, but I, we were never in a position. I can guarantee you that if TikTok had been around when I was a kid and my brother is currently 14, so I'm sure my parents are kind of keeping a very close eye on this with him. My parents would have absolutely refused to allow us to use it. And that is that personal responsibility that conservatives are very much predisposed to use. And I really think that's going to be our superpower when it comes to pushing back on the algorithm. Our lives don't have to be controlled by the algorithm to a major degree. Now, I know it's hard when you're looking for work, but the parallel economy is coming along quite nicely. We have Public Square, we have redballoon.work, we have opportunities for making sure that we can work with companies that don't hate our values. And we're getting there. And honestly, this executive order, I think, is really going to expedite some of that stuff because conservatives already know there's a dire need for them to be able to find work without having the disadvantage of being fill in the blank, whatever you were born as, like a white male for being, you know, heterosexual, for being, you know, um, not in a tiny minority fraction group, but just being a person who wants to work. Because this is something that conservatives are already paying attention to, I can't help feeling like there's a silver lining with this executive order and thinking that hopefully it'll be kind of a kick in the pants for us to really look around and say, hey, you know what, we desperately need to step up our game. We've been losing the culture war, just doing what we're doing, continuing to try to do the same things. It's just going to continue to see us lose. That's not what we want because we are the people who are having children. Statistically, yeah. you can look at the people who are reproducing. They are not socialists. They are not yuppies. They are not the people who are embracing these super dystopian ideas and pushing them on others. The reason they have to push them on others is because they don't have kids to pass these ideas That's down right. to. The reason they're teachers right that's why they have the white knuckle have... grip on education yeah. right now right exactly and this is why they're so petrified of school choice but as far as i can see all signs are pointing to conservatives starting to wake up because of stuff like this yeah and i think ai might really be the alarm bell that we need so i feel good well, about it i don't know i, I want to jump in here i i did ask the students at this event i asked him i said is this a battlefield that we should not be on in terms of social media and content creation and YouTube and TikTok, like, should we not be going to battle there? And all of them said we should be going to battle there. And I, and I think that social media, it, it's a bit easier to see how we could do battle in that arena because we, everybody knows that there are YouTube channels and people are on TikTok and, you know, it's the game of content creation. Ultimately it's, it's far less about what you have to say and, and far more about how you say it. Um, when it comes to content creation and performance. And so I think that we should have that attitude with AI as well. No, no none, of, none of the people on this podcast went to school for 
data engineering or anything of that nature. Right. But we we should be encouraging, I think, our younger generation to be engineers in this world and learn data science and coding and all these different things. Because otherwise, this huge sector of the economy and technology will be completely taken apart by the left and controlled. I agree with that to an extent, but there are a lot of folks that that's just not, that is not where their skill set is. A lot of people that are hands-on. And I would say, I think parents need to stop trying to put their kids on the go and get a college business degree route and, and kind of get back to the idea that, you know what, people working with their hands is really good, honest work. And at the end of the day, this technology and everything along with it is a incredibly fragile yeah i mean all you need is 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 an what is that called an emp strike and you're knocking out a lot of stuff i I will say though that the emp thing is really really overstated as a as a danger because okay i I know a lot of people we've had lightning strike before and it burned out everything electronic in our house yes and 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 that's actually happened to me my my dad once was playing this was many years ago this was like 15 years ago he was playing ps2 he was playing a video game. I was like eating lunch or something like that. And a lightning struck and it electrocuted him while he was holding the controller. Gosh. Oh my God. <laughs> and like the garage, the the circuit breaker and everything was like blown apart, like all blackened Jeez. and everything. So like, I, I know what you're talking about. And <clears throat> I know that when I say, oh, the EMP thing is overstated. First off, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for saying that because that's like one of the top <laughs> things that conservatives like to talk about. It's like one of our big boogeymen right now. But he- hear me out when I say this. That's not saying it's not a threat. I'm saying it's overstated as a threat. Sure. It, it is a threat, but here's the problem. When I hear these scenarios from people that talk about EMP strikes, what they're implying is that one day the Chinese are going to detonate EMPs over the United States and they're going to win win the Cold War without a shot being fired. Second Cold War, just say, without a shot being fired. And they're just going to take over the country and impose communism and Marxism on us. That will never happen because we have something called the nuclear triad which means that even if they knock out all of our ground-based silos, that does nothing to knock out our submarines that are stationed all over the world, all of which have nuclear weapons on board them. We have that on purpose because if we ever get attacked first, it's called second strike capability. If the United States was ever attacked with nuclear weapons or attacked with an EMP first, and even if it knocked out every single ground-based silo, which is very unlikely, but even if it knocked out every single ground-based silo in the U.S., we would still have the ability to wipe the Chinese nation off the face of the earth. A nuclear war would end in in nobody winning. I agree with that, but I was just going to make the point that another way to... Uh, lessen the control that this type of thing has over your life is to be a little more self-sustainable. Learn how to build things. Learn how to make things. Learn how to farm. You know, learn how to fix equipment. You know, there's a lot of people that later on when they do these kill switches and cars and everything else, they're going to be going to the dump and or dump the salvage yard and pulling out these old cars and piecing them together so that they don't have any of that crap in their vehicle. Yeah. I, yes, I love that. I would also encourage people to try using chat GPT and, and, and learn how to use it. Be one of the people that inputs information like Christian. Yeah. Figure, figure out where it gets right, what, what it gets right, what it gets wrong, how your kids may be able to use it, how you can integrate it into your workflow with the job that you do. Because, 
if if we just sit back and say, hey, we are not going to make this a part of our life or this is not for us, we can guarantee that it's going to be only for people on the left. Oh, yeah. I, I want to make one more point about that real quick because people think, oh, well, you know, the algorithm's just the algorithm. But the thing is, is it it reacts to you. Yes. And so if you reject what it's giving you, it will try something else. Yeah. And so we've seen even just on on our um, podcast where viewership will just tank. And we're like, what were we talking about? Yeah. Cause viewership to tank or, or were we boring at a moment or we'll whatever? We'll also see the reverse. And, yeah. well, and, and you will see it take off. But here's the really interesting part, you guys. If you don't like something that a show is talking about on Netflix or on Amazon or anything like that, and you forward past that section, it knows. It does. And if you stop mm -hmm. it at that section, it knows where you stopped it. It does. And what that does is it tells people on the back end, we need to offer less of this thing that made yes. everybody jump off. So yes. it is your responsibility as a conservative when you're watching something that absolutely offends your sensibilities, turn it off. Yeah. And I know that's yeah. really hard. And if you can't turn it off because you're way too wound up in the story, forward past it, like skip yeah. it because they can tell what you did and it will tell them to offer you less of that. So be interactive with these algorithms and tell it what you do yeah. and don't want. I, I want to make... Yes. If, if you... I know we've used the word algorithm a lot here, and I want to simplify the purpose of an algorithm in one sentence so that everybody can remember this. The purpose of an, alg of an algorithm is to put the right piece of content in front of you, you, the user, at the right time. So it yes. puts the right piece of content in front of the right person at the right time. And right. I'm going so to propose this question real quick for our viewers who use YouTube on a regular basis and ask you, in the last 12 months, how many times has a woke BS video been recommend, recommended to you? Probably none. Not very often. Especially if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, and probably so, not a lot. Not a lot. And so yeah. if you use YouTube regularly and you believe that YouTube has a conservative bent, I'm sorry, a liberal bent, well, they actually prioritize you as the user over themselves in that situation. In capitalism right. grand. In cap Unless you say something really uh, like overtly sure, unwoke sure and then you know yeah then it's a hamilton story. there was something that when you and i started working together on all of this there was a conversation that we had where you were explaining like how dejected you were about the way that conservatives were approaching really technology in general and yeah. especially mm -hmm. things like social media youtube in particular yeah. youtube is the most successful social media media platform a lot of people forget that they just yeah. think it's a video platform it's a social media platform um and it's more successful than facebook and twitter and tiktok um and tiktok um and and i just remember this conversation where where you were lamenting to me how conservatives just uh, had no clue what they were doing in this field. And I wanted to I, give you an I opportunity will, to I talk about I will sum it this. up in this way. Conservatives think that someone needs to know about X. Could be whatever. So they make a video on X. The left says, they think to themselves, this group of people are interested in Y. So therefore, we are going to make a video on Y and subliminally or subtly, put our politics in the foundation of that video. And that is the most, that's the clearest I can lay this out. So we're really bad at subtlety. Can I, can I add to that? It makes it worse because conservatives will say, 
in this case, X is a policy, explicit political policy, right? So conservatives say X matters, gun rights matter, yeah. life matters, low taxes, low regulations, more individual freedom, whatever it is, right? That matters. So let's make a video on X. Yep. And so then they'll make a video on why it's important to defend gun rights or why it's important to have pro-life legislation passed in your state legislature or why it's important that we don't have the marginal tax rate be higher than whatever the Laffer curve says, right? right? And then a lot of times donors will pump thousands of dollars, in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars into that project, conservative donors, because – Lo and behold, very successful people in business that made a lot of money tend to be conservative. Mm -hmm. And so that's one advantage that we have that the left doesn't have. Now, they have a lot of other advantages, too, because they got a lot of people that have even more money than us. But conservative donors will then say, well, I'm going to put $100,000 behind this video. And then they'll put it behind it and they'll be like, why did we get 24 views? Mm Mm-hmm. Because you put out a video and you pumped $100,000 into pushing a video to people talking about why gun rights are important to them. And they don't care about that. It's not that yeah. they're pro-gun control. It's that they don't care about yeah. that. You are moralizing and lecturing to them yep. about why your pet political issue should is super important. And they don't care. Here's what you should have been doing. You should have been doing the left's approach to this, which is the left looks at what are people watching on YouTube or listening to on on audio platforms, the like left podcasts. has taken a more free market approach to content to push an anti-free market have. message. Yes, yes, yes. That's, That's they, devastating. Yes, they look at what do people watch on YouTube? What do people consume in terms of podcast? What do people want to l- watch in terms of like streaming services like Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it is? Right? What are people interested in? Yep. And the left knows that because they're inherently more creative people. This is something Jordan Peterson talks about a lot. Is that the left? does have higher degrees of openness than mm-hmm. conservatives. Mm-hmm. That's not That doesn't make them good or bad. That's just the way that it is. Right. I have a and, theory about that, by the way. And at some point, we actually should probably... I'd love to do a podcast at one point about like the psychology of what makes people have yeah. you know, the, the views that they have. But, but anyway, the, oh, the yeah. left looks at this, right? And they say, what are people into? So somebody like me, I'm really into history. I, I, I just have been my whole entire life, in case you haven't realized it. So I watch a lot of YouTube videos about history. Yeah. You... Like and history? We didn't know. <laughs> and crazy. if you're on the left, here's what you're going to do. You're not going to say, here's why we need social security. Instead, they're going to say, here's how, you know, social security, you know, had a big impact on the Great Depression. Or and somebody like me who's not a conservative that's into history, they'll watch a video about the Great Depression and suddenly they'll be inserting in, oh, see, the government came yeah. in and saved everybody with Social Security. So, social Security was launched under FDR, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it was launched So they'll FDR. make a video on how FDR saved the— uh, Saved America and the Great Depression. Well, the elderly. Saved retirement for the elderly. Right. Or how FDR created the best retirement system for the elderly that they could depend on. Here's another example that nobody other than like history buffs like me would get. When Germany was unified at the end of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871, arch-conservative Otto von Bismarck, a name who many people have probably heard of, um, hardcore, like, Old school conservative, like absolute monarchy type, not American type conservative, right? He was a German nationalist, wanted to make Prussia unify all of Germany and give the throne to the Prussian kings and make them emperors and all that stuff. He was anti-socialist, but he wasn't necessarily pro-free market. He wasn't a liberal in the classical sense. Very conservative. One of the first things he did when Germany was unified after beating the French in the Franco-Prussian War was he passed a welfare bill. He established a welfare system in Germany. Yeah. 
arch conservative created a welfare state in Germany. And the reason why was because he wanted to kneecap the socialists mm. and take an issue away from them that they could use to gain votes in order to get seats in the newly yeah. created German imperial, imperial parliament. Yeah. And so mm. somebody like me, who's really into history, I might be watching a video about the Franco-Prussian War, the unification of Germany. Yeah. And at the very end of it, they might talk about the genius and brilliant of, you know, brilliance right, of Bismarck right. for creating this welfare state. Right. And this was such a great idea and it made Germany powerful and yeah. unified. And suddenly I walk away from the video thinking, oh, well, welfare states are great ideas. Yeah. Right? But the mm -hmm. focus of the video yeah. wasn't yes. on that. It was on the unification yes. of Germany and the Franco-Prussian War. But they were in, infusing this, this left-wing narrative yes. into whatever it is they're talking about. About. We see this I, in entertainment right. too, though. It's not just it's not just in oh, if I if I like history, I'm gonna you know oh, search out yeah this. yeah. Give it's an like example. Any movie you like, anything that you like. Um, for instance, Jack Ryan, yep. super popular right now. Nick turned it off after the first or second episode because it was making it look like every single right winger was like a domestic terrorist. Yeah. And so they, they do, they feed it to people that way. They, they use art to feed propaganda. Well, and if you don't think Tina's correct about retention rates and Netflix being able to see when people click off, just look at a YouTube retention graph. It's the exact same thing for Netflix. And they take that data and they look at it and they evaluate how to construct their next, you know, series of shows and everything. I got to make one point because, Christian, I want to give a real world example of what we're talking about. Okay. In 2021, we launched the Y Minutes. Okay. Yes. And when we started the Y Minutes, we were talking about very, very political issues on the face of it. Why? So, you know, we, what are a couple of episodes that we had? Oh, before I came along? Or? Well, just in the beginning when we weren't getting a lot of views. Well, I mean, a lot of the things that we were putting out were things like, you know, why, you know, it's important, you know, to defend freedom or why. Why the rent is too damn high. Yeah, yeah. that was a great video. Actually, but yes. I love if, that video. If, if, if you if, keep, keep going, I'll pull up, but we, we I'll were, pull up a video. We were talking, talking about economics, social security, the welfare state, housing, very, very political topics on the face of it. And what we found is only people who agreed with us already were watching the videos. Yeah, preaching to the choir. We were preaching to the choir. And I think conservatives do a great, great job of preaching to the, the choir. Rallying the base. Rallying the base shrinks. Okay, so here's some examples that were in early 2021 that were coming out. Why a fair share isn't fair. Why a fence is not a substitute for an argument. Why is public education failing students and teachers? Why businesses should mind their business? Why are people refusing to follow the science? Um, some other examples. Why the wealth tax punishes the poor? Why real socialism has never been tried? Why tariffs are taxes? Why the road to hell right. is paved with right. good intentions? Okay, okay. Here, here's That's what, what we were coming out here, with. Here's what first. I will tell you. These videos did not perform well. They were great videos, though. They were great videos. They looked beautiful. Uh, you know, for someone who already agreed with us, they might have been interesting to watch. But no one who didn't already agree with us were watching the videos. I think the Errol C one. Oh, was I the was one about to. Oh, you took my. I'm sorry. The average. The average video. No. The average video in this time frame was getting sub 30,000 views. Yeah. It would be yeah. a good video if it got around 30,000 yeah. views. Now explain what and we then, started doing. And then Christian came to the table with an incredible idea. He's an incredible writer, guys. He is. He comes up with incredible ideas. Then he said, Hamilton, I think we should do a video on why the Air All Sea, what was it titled? 
why the Soviet Union destroyed, destroyed the, the RLC. So remember, we were getting on average 30,000 views video, and this is only on Facebook. YouTube, we've always struggled with the Y Minutes on YouTube just because it's it's a shorter uh, program, around three minutes, and it's just designed to work better on Facebook. Um, but we put out that video, and it got about 900,000 views. It's and currently sitting at 1.2 million views. 1.2 million views, and 98% of those views come from people who do not even follow the Y Minutes page and that Facebook put on the watch page for us and pushed the video for us. But what point do we make in that video, Christian? Well, we end with an explicitly political point, but it's actually, we end with an implicitly political point. Because what we end with is saying the Soviet Union thought that they could take the plains of Central Asia and turn it into an agricultural powerhouse by bending nature itself to the will of the Communist Party. And what they created was an ecological disaster that outlived even the Soviet Union itself and is still wreaking havoc on the nations of Central Asia today. That's a powerful political yeah. point about yeah. how central planning can create problems that could even outlast the central planners themselves. Yeah. yeah. That was a very strong political point at the end. And yet we didn't start, we did not title the video, Why Central Planning Fails. That's yep. not what we titled it. We titled it Why the Soviet Union Destroyed the RLC. And we put up a thumbnail showing two pictures of the RLC, one taken in the 1960s when it was the world's seventh largest lake, yep. and then one today where it, it literally doesn't exist. It's a pile of sand in the middle of a desert. And that elicited a reaction from people on Facebook who wanted to watch this video and see, well, what happened? How, how could yep. an, entire, an entire sea vanish in, in 50 years. And we gave them the story and we ended the story with not telling them and therefore big government is good and you need to go elect more Democrats. That's not what we told them. We told them central planning fails. Governments usually can create more problems than previously existed. And anytime a politician tells you, give me more money and power, you need to be asking yourself, why are they saying that? Do they have a track record to back it up? And they don't. But yep. the difference in performance taught the team a lesson yes. that they've been able to implement ever since. And so the point of all of that is interact with it and make sure it knows what you want and what you don't think, want. Think about other people. Yeah. Think about. But as a consumer, as somebody that consumes social media, yeah. um, videos, entertainment, every type of media, tell it what you want interact with it tell it you like mm. this tell it you don't like that and there are all kinds of ways to do that you can comment you can like you can subscribe but then also you can shut it off you can skip it forward yep. if you don't like something you can go you can leave it you don't have to keep watching it especially on things like netflix and amazon and every other whatever yeah streaming service there are you don't have to watch that yep. you can skip it well, right, I want to hand exactly. it. I want to hand it back to Lydia, but I think um, I, I've, of course, been very interested in this topic. I today. think this is an interesting episode. I would, we'll see if the audience agrees. I, I eventually will start a podcast at some point or start creating content on social media strategy and video strategy uh, because it, it is my thing. And I would like to be Mr. Beast one day uh, in the conservative movement. When I grow up. <laughs> when he but, grows up. But all right, I'm going to hand it back to Lydia. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so I have just one final rant to make because both of you guys, all of you guys have been correct about this. First, Tina, you mentioned that people need to get into the engineering space and make a difference. I don't, oh no, I'm sorry, it was Hamilton who mentioned that because Tina was talking about how important it is to also be willing to work with your hands. I want to 
emphasize that conservatives 100% do need to be in the engineering space because we need to be giving them competition because they might not believe in the free market, but we do. We know the free market works. And we know that when there are engineers out there who are willing to design programs that don't act in a biased way, that give an alternative to this ridiculous DEI stuff that Biden is cramming through with his presidential power, that's going to be an advantage. And one of the things that's really been ticking me off lately in ways that I can't fully explain on YouTube because we're a family-friendly show is that the conservative movement seems to be attempting to retreat. And I am 100% on board with going out and being self-sufficient and learning how to, like, I think what Nick and Tina are doing is fantastic where they have their little farm, they got their bees, and they're working on being self-sufficient. I think that's amazing. But the problem comes when people say, leave me alone, I'm just going to disconnect from everything, and I'm going to hide. To me, that strikes me as a sign of weakness and fear. And that's not what conservatives are. Conservatives are incredibly brave. They're incredibly resourceful and they're incredibly unwilling to give up in the face of difficulty, which I'm grateful for now because this executive order is really intimidating. It really is kind of unsettling. Mm -hmm. The, 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 The phrase is the side that wants to win will always beat the side that wants to be left alone. Yep. And if we aren't willing to prepare ourselves to be the best, and we shouldn't go to battle to start with. Exactly. And I think that's Aaron McIntyre that says that. And I have been saying it a lot because I don't know if you guys are familiar with Matt Walsh or what he had to say the other day, but we had conservative pundits who were saying that he was being too mean. And I said, he is not being too mean. He is taking up the mantle of wanting to win. He has six children and he's doing everything in his power to make the world better for them. And that starts with telling the truth. And that's just one of the ways that we can really push back on this stuff. And the the whole the whole point here should not be to say what you need to do is to retreat into the wilderness and never speak to anyone again. We know that's not going to work. And we might have this innate drive to push back against all this stuff and really want to protect our kids. But at the same time, we have to live in the world. We have to engage with that. And that means we're in a position where we have to come up with creative ways that we can forward our own ideas and push back on these terrible ones creatively, constructively. And that means, yes, getting degrees in engineering. It means, like Tina was saying, engaging with these platforms. We used to get static over on TimCast about why are you using YouTube if you think YouTube is so bad? We were literally using the platform to tell people about our own platform. I was like, that's exactly what you should be doing. I personally think that's probably the best possible use of a platform that does not have your best interests in mind, is to point people from that platform somewhere else. But that does involve engagement. It involves refusing to just say, I'm done. I'm going away. Leave me alone. Because we do want to win. Because we are the side that has kids and we do want the world to be better for them. And I think that's really probably the one thing I want to leave everybody with. There's certainly stuff we can do with this. It's a really interesting topic. I find AI fascinating. I'm really curious where we go from here. Right now, it doesn't look good with Biden in office. And I will also say it's very important to get a Republican in office in 2024, like probably more important than it ever has been before. But there are also so many things we can do on a personal level. Like my younger brother is young, very young yet. We had six kids and there's a very wide span between us. So 
he is very interested in all this computer stuff. And I think that's awesome. Like that's a great example of a conservative person who will be working in the field going forward. And that's exactly where we should be. So I just wanted to leave everybody with that slight bit of optimism. Even though this executive order really is objectively bad, there's plenty of stuff we can do to come back against it. And I'm also confident it'll come up in court. I think it's definitely going to be challenged pretty much right out of the gate. But with that said, we've been at this an hour. Thank you all for bearing with us. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you all will join us next Tuesday as well. If you haven't already, join our volley chat where we like to engage with our audience. Um, thank you for joining Making the Argument, and we will see you all next time.